Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Alone Podcast. Our guest today is Sam Larson. We will all remember Sam from seasons one and season five of The Alone Show. So Sam, thank you so much for taking time out of your life and your schedule and your family to sit down and visit and share a little bit of your story with us today. Well, thank you, Sam, my new friend, collecting Sams yeah, over here. It's funny before... My hobbies. <laughs> it's funny before we uh, hit record, uh, I was reading through... Uh, through Sam's bio and, and there was a, an experience that he had early in his life that was at least remarkable enough to make his bio that uh, also involved another Sam. And so I'm, I'm not expecting this to make your bio. Like I, I have no illusions that you're going to go update your website to say, you know, you chatted with another Sam, but yeah, you are collecting experiences with Sam's in your life apparently. Oh, I will add it to my website bio now. <laughs> I haven't touched that thing in like two years, but it's, this is worthy of spoke with Sam Rose on the alone podcast. There it is. It's on well, there now. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll go check that later on and make sure that hits. Um, it's funny. I, when I was reading through your stuff and, and watching through, I was like, Oh yeah, Sam is a, he's a character and I tend to be a character at times as well. So hopefully we can, hopefully we can actually make it through this without just, like cracking jokes back and forth and not saying anything useful or like true at all. <laughs> it's actually, it's kind of interesting because I like, that's, I think it's my true character. Like when I'm around folks and um, in my, I don't know, what you call it, like internal dialogue or whatever, I'm pretty goofy, like constantly goofing around. Um, I think one of the funny things about when I actually got into the field on alone is that production was expecting a little bit more of that from me <laughs> but without an audience it's hard you know because part of the fun is, is being around people and you're having goofy conversations and yeah it feels like a different it feels like a production when you're doing it for just the camera as opposed to just being sam when you've got you know people around and you're making people laugh and you can see all that yeah yeah i mean and i yeah i feel the same way it's like i don't want to be produced i don't want to film something that seems like i planned it all out yeah like every every dumb thing i do on the show and in real life is really just spontaneous <laughs> that's funny um it, i was so i had talked to brooke a little while ago and uh, uh this is not a plug for brooke's channel because i guarantee you no one that's listening to this doesn't already know of brooke's channel she's kind of a big deal um, if it's not a plug for Brooke's channel, it should be. It is. It is. But what because I'm saying Brooke is, has an amazing channel. Everyone yeah. here already knows <laughs> about Brooke's channel because she's that well known and that awesome. Um, but she did a really cool series. So if you haven't seen this, go back in her YouTube a couple years, and she did like a a pre and post season five video, and you can get some prime shots of the one and only Sam Larson. If you go, if you go back and watch that, you'll get a a sense of of the true colors there. It's funny because I had no idea she was actually filming. Like I thought she was out taking pictures or whatever with her, <laughs> with her camera, but I guess she was. Maybe that's what she so, told. Yeah. That's what she told production. Like, no, this is not a personal video camera that I'm <laughs> making my own video on. It, very accurate, though. Whatever she captured, I, I watched those videos, you know, a couple of years ago, and yeah. they're they're real. That's pretty much what it's like. Yeah, those... around camp those videos were, were awesome. And I was like, Oh man, Sam is cause like you get a sense of your sense of humor and, and you're obviously who you are from the show. 
but watching that I was like wow he is like a character like a lot more funny and a lot more like you know loose than you even got to see on the show so that was really cool um but let's go ahead and and you know I used to try and like introduce and do a little bio of people but then I realized that you know yourself way better than I do and so it probably makes more sense if you want to just take a minute and and share um who you would call yourself and and how you would introduce yourself yeah well I guess as of recently um I have sort of a fluid like uh, description of myself based on what's going on. Uh, I've been a survival instructor or in the field of, you know, survival education or outdoor education since I was about 18. So that's, um, golly, like 11 years, I think. So, um, that's officially what I would say I do most of the time. Uh, it's taken a huge change though, uh, from the pandemic and everything like that most of my business was large event survival instructing. And when every single large event is canceled, you're kind of left without that uh, part of what you do. So I, I teach smaller courses of, you know, anywhere from like four to 12 uh, individuals attend um, out on my homestead. Uh, and then I've been doing a lot of just building uh, my homestead and cultivating everything, turning it from like a garbage heap, basically into a place where now my family lives, um, doing a lot of work outside, splitting a lot of wood, being a dad, trying to write uh, and read as much as I can. Um, but I'd say my career is still officially a survival instructor. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, I wouldn't, I mean, maybe your land is a garbage heap, but I was looking at your website. So for those, you know, listening his, I, I mean, I'll let you, we'll talk about that later, but I was looking at your website for your teaching and your property sounds gorgeous, actually. <laughs> like it, it sounds like a, a beautiful little spot. Yeah. The, basically when we purchased it, it was a rotted out mobile home. So it was really cheap and a lot of physical labor, but we, we kind of just decided to take on the challenge, like save the money and put in the elbow grease and the, the stuff that was good for it was beautiful is stuff that takes a long time to grow and mature, like the trees, um, and some of the topography and the privacy and, and such, uh, was there. And so, um, we said, Hey, we like that. It's a really small plot of land. Property taxes are sky high, uh, here in Nebraska. So small is somewhat good. Uh, and then, yeah, it's basically how hard, <laughs> how hard do you want to work, uh, to make this thing into, into what you want it to be. That's awesome. And I mean, you do a lot of your classes there. Will you guys eventually live full-time on that property? Is that the plan? Well, we've been living there full-time, um, in we built a yurt and then we've got a, a small addition that's kind of hooked onto the yurt. We've been living there full time for over a year now. So I think like 15 or 16 months total. Um, so getting our feet wet, learning all the mistakes we made, uh, hopefully, building it. Hopefully not literally getting your feet wet. <laughs> Let me think. Hopefully uh, the yurt's watertight. Uh, only in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not too leaky. Um, Although you can hear the rain, so it's a it's a great phenomenon to be inside of a dry, warm environment and still hearing uh, the rain come down 
on the roof, which is rain when you live in a yurt full time is somewhere between the most relaxing and wonderful thing that you've ever experienced in your life and like sheer terror. So it's like, depending on how hard it's raining, yeah. if it's a monsoon or just like a calming, gentle rain. <laughs> and depending on if you're the adult or the child in the room, I guess that might be part of it. How are the kids liking the the change of of scenery and, and the lifestyle? They like it. They, they were so young when we moved out here and when we purchased the land and everything like that. Um, so I have three kids now and the youngest has never lived anywhere else. So it's kind of like they they'll never know what it was like to just live in one of our rental houses or the apartment or whatever we had lived before that, which I kind of like, they like to go out and explore. Um, it's great for them just to have that freedom and to be able to sort of choose their own adventures every time they walk out the door and take a dog with them and just go out and explore. That's cool. Are you, um, are you in the middle of like farmland? I mean, what's, what's around? Do you have neighbors somewhat close by? How does that situation kind of look? Yeah. So it's Nebraska. So we definitely are in an agricultural area. Um, so I, I think I'm going to be very clear on my website. Like we've got, we're a treed agricultural area, <laughs> not a wilderness area, but people from Nebraska who are, you know, live in the context of where we are come to my place and they're like, Oh, well, cool. This is, you got some woods and stuff yeah. like that. Whereas someone from like Colorado would, would be totally unimpressed <laughs> at, to some level at least or like utah where you're from yeah um yeah but like, hey you uh, could you could plant uh, more corn if you cut those trees down yeah exactly that's what a lot of it is man we've got farmers who just yeah some of them will just knock down trees and you know they want more space to to grow whatever ethanol plants on <laughs> yeah, it's funny it sounds like you and i have like it, it, we live in in totally opposite paradigms right you're living on a, a small acreage and you know out of town and all of that and i live like right in the middle of the city um but like something that makes me really sad is when i see a green space in the city right where there's original not original but like old growth trees that are you know 50 75 100 years old that have been in that space or whatever and then they go cut it down and clear it so they can develop or whatever. And like part of me like dies when I see that. It's really hard for me to experience that. And apparently that's not something you escape when you get out of the city. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, there's a lot more to wreck at this point in Utah, whereas, you know, the virgin tall grass prairie like would be where I live is, I mean, there's less than 1% of it left. Um, it's all just farmland and whatnot but I actually did I, I worked on a prairie for a few years sort of between alone seasons um so that was kind of a, a cool experience just as like a, a teacher naturalist a way to do some work that didn't involve uh you know being in a cubicle talking on the phone and all that but <laughs> was but that yeah. was so was that like a nature preserve or where what was that all about yeah it's, it was a like a thousand acre nature preserve and there was a like a 1400 acre, um, woods, um, uh, that was a few miles away from that. And basically it's just like technically just city park, but outside of the confines of the, the city, um, or at least on the outskirts of it. And, uh, <laughs> it's funny when I, I talk about other people on alone, 
a lot of the other folks have like a area around them they can sort of learn from and have it be applicable. Whereas I'd never <laughs> really had that. Um, like I, before I went to Mongolia, I spent um, the entire spring, fall, winter, and then all the way through that summer before we started shooting, I was teaching um, kids ethnobotany of tall grass prairies, you know, and in the Midwest, uh, none of which is even remotely <laughs> you know, applicable to where we were at in Mongolia. Like not even, not even close. Uh, it was all completely different. But it, I mean, it's amazing to learn because that's a lot of stuff that's really being forgotten. But um, I would have loved to have spent, you know, the last ten years just exclusively in the North, where they do all these, you know, alone shows. Yeah. Like I've got I've got a good amount of experience being in northern areas. Um, it's kind of where I was drawn to, and that's where a lot of outdoor education is, like for me to pursue as a student. Um, but I, I've never lived there for years and years, <laughs> like some folks do. <laughs> I mean, you've you've lived there for long enough now. I think. Um, I want to go back to this prairie preserve. So was that virgin prairie, or was it something that had been replant, replanted, and reestablished? They were working on bringing back. I think we sort of or was it a mishmash in theory, it was a virgin prairie, like the people who had owned it prior to it being a preserve had run their horses through it, but they never like plowed it or anything like that. And so ideally, yeah, it was it was like a, a virgin tall grass prairie that had been, you know, more or less untouched by everything around it. But the, the folks who maintain the land do a really good job of um, like trying to use natural means of keeping the prairie healthy. Um, like they can't have bison on it. They have bison next to it. Like as a look kids of a bison, but they, uh, bison you know, they bring almost in, in their natural habitat, <laughs> <laughs> right? But they'll bring in like cows from neighboring farm and sort of rotate them around the prairie to simulate what it would be like if bison were, uh, really yeah. there and grazing and, and to the kids that we would bring out there, um, because basically every kid in the county or in the, they separate it by watersheds for outdoor education. So every kid in our, in our watershed would come out and uh, go on a, like a half day or a full day uh, adventure, either in the woods, uh, wetlands or prairies and sort of just be able to explore. So to them, it might as well be just the middle of nowhere wilderness and that sort of helps the grownups as well Yeah, <laughs> to, to get into that mindset. No, that's super cool. I mean, to those that are listening, um, so if you do or don't know, so much of the American West, I mean, I would call it the Midwest, but then the Midwesterners get all, you know, they're the Midwest. The, the middle Western <laughs> portion of the country, the true middle Western portion of the United States uh, used to basically be, you know, majority flat prairie land and, you know, tall grasses, pretty you know, not much for trees and whatnot. And over the years, that's all been plowed under and turned into farmland. And so now, instead of being the prairie, it's now America's breadbasket, basically. And um, and so that's, you know, the the what we're discussing, the topography and, and the area. Um, so those classes, what kind of skills were you teaching on the prairie? Because that's fascinating to me. I think the the concept of bringing back a lot of the prairie lands and and trying to get back in touch with that, part of our geography, I guess, is super fascinating. I, I'm really interested in it. Like for those listening, if you want to kind of see what we're talking about, 
Um, there's a really popular preserve called the American Prairie Preserve um, is one that you can kind of go look for and, and kind of read up. But so for you, Sam, what kind of stuff were, were you guys teaching on the prairie classes and on those other classes that you were involved in for the kids? Yeah, well, it was something that varied every day. And so that was kind of fun. And I would, I would get into the, the nature center and I would, um, you know, get to say hello to all my fellow guides. And then we would see who it was for that day. So depending on what age level, uh, we would take uh, what they're studying in school and we'd sort of have like a rubric of it. And we would find ways to meet the curriculum requirements um, at the nature center. So if I get a group of first graders and they're learning about um, habitats, you know, I'd take them around and I'd be able to show them, uh, you know, three or four different habitats of some of our local wildlife. Um, and then it would go all the way to uh, like in the, the fourth or fifth grade where they're learning about natural history as well as ethnobotany, um, all sorts of great things that are really um, I mean, there it's our local history of the, the world around them. So it's exciting to be in a place where it actually happened and a place that kind of looks like it would have back in the day, if you were heading across the prairie in a covered wagon, yeah, uh, just heading West. So <laughs> does yeah. it make a, an Oregon trail joke here? So you don't get, was it cholera cholera is that yeah you got cholera <laughs> i mean i i always get cholera i don't know about you sam but <laughs> yeah they're, they're you either got cholera you got stampeded by buffalo or you got bit by a snake i think is kind of the typically how that went right yeah or, or washed away when you're trying to ford oh, a river yeah, or something about that. like that forgot about that good um, times yeah I, I i feel like i heard this is a this is a total like random hair we'll get back on track here but i feel like i heard that that game is like has made a resurgence um, so for those listening, there used As to it should right. Uh, if if you're not familiar with the beauty that was the Oregon Trail, um, there was a a terrible computer game. It, I think it was I played it in school. I think it was primarily a, a like a, a learning tool. Um, yeah. That basically like was teaching you about life coming west. I guess I don't know. Basically, everyone mm -hmm. died of cholera. <laughs> is, the, <laughs> is the running joke of the game. You'd you'd do everything right. You'd almost make it to your destination, and the game just couldn't couldn't be beat. And so it had to kill you with cholera if you were doing too well. But I think that game's going to come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Amazon Trail was good as well. I I did not experience Amazon Trail. Yeah, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, you mentioned that the that you had bison that were basically, I mean, penned or corralled or whatever next to the prairie, adjacent to, but not actually on. Um, was was there a reason why those weren't roaming? Was it like a safety concern with the youth being out in the actual prairie land, or do you know why the the bison weren't roaming? Yeah, well, I think they have like five or so. I don't actually know because I wasn't in charge of it, but they have separate paddocks that they would go to throughout the year, depending on. Uh, you know, the, the various growth so they wouldn't just destroy yeah. any parts of the prairie, but it's just a requirement of fencing for them. Like they would have had to have a 10 foot ultra hardcore fence and then they couldn't, of course, roam amongst the children. And so, yeah, yeah we uh, have, that was why. Utah has a, a couple of, we have one, like, I think it's ancestral, like one ancestral wild herd of bison that still remains in the Henry Mountains. Yeah. And then we have a um, a transplant herd 
on what's called Antelope Island. And Antelope Island also happens to be a very popular state park with runners and hikers and bird watchers and whatever else. And it seems like every year or two, there's, you know, a story of someone getting roughed up by a bison because they, you know, got a little bit too friendly or yeah, came around a corner at the wrong time. <laughs> and so I can understand keeping the, the bison separate. But so you mentioned in there you did a lot of work with children and and now your business that is hopefully starting to pick back up. Um, that you work a lot with, with larger groups. And I'm assuming that that probably means more of adult age people. Um, if I'm wrong, obviously correct me, but is there anything, do you miss working more with children? Is that, or are you just happy teaching or matter who's in front of you? Yeah, it was really good to have that experience. I'm, I'm super thankful for it. Um, it, it pays virtually nothing. I mean, you're, it's one of the lowest paying jobs in the city. I think it was like, uh, nine or 10 bucks an hour something like that. Um, but extremely fun. And it was just a way for me to get up every single day for at least half of my work day. Um, and go out there and like be teaching. So it was a way to learn how to communicate different things about the natural world, uh, to uh, an audience and for a, a child audience, uh, you're able to explain the, the things that you should be explaining to adults, to children as well. So I think once you can tell a child something, you can tell an adult something. And a lot of times, if you're only communicating with adults, you have no idea how to communicate with a, a child. And so that was the main benefit for me, was just being able to communicate uh, in such a way. And I also relate it back to uh, like a, a couple summers later, I went out to the California survival school uh, to instruct there in the, um, uh, I forgot what they're called, Santa Cruz mountains or something like that. Um, just outside of Silicon Valley. And we literally did the same thing um, at the kids camp there that we did for like these big uh, tech companies that would bring out all of their employees to do like a, an offsite survival training with us. So we just did the same thing in both groups because everyone's was sort of at that introductory level. Yeah. The difference was the kids never cut themselves with the knives. <laughs> it was only the grownups that would just, I mean, it would just be a bloodbath by yeah. the end of the day <laughs> at the grown-up camp. But the kids were always careful. That's funny. Uh, that That's genuinely funny. And um, I wish we had time to pause and just marinate in that because that's really funny that that makes me laugh um so you uh so you taught in california you obviously are teaching and, and we're teaching for other people in nebraska and so it sounds like have you done other i, I mean i'm going to say residency teaching positions but like have you ever have you done more teaching in other places or is it primarily schools in california and then in nebraska yeah um so i had gone out to california uh, mostly to just learn from uh, the owner of the school, Dan Baird, how he structures everything. Um, and that was an amazing learning experience. Um, starting out though, right when I was 18 out of high school, I went to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School, which is up in Northern Maine. And I spent a summer out there. Uh, I returned there the next year to be a teacher's assistant, um, not for a whole year, just for uh, part of the summer. And then I also got the opportunity to go on a, uh, it was like a alumni trip uh, to go up to the, uh, the Cree up in Northern Quebec to learn sort of like a cultural um, 
education there. I'm not sure what they, what they call it, but that was a, a great experience with sort of the same crowd of folks. That's cool. So you said you did that at 18. I mean, and obviously reading through your stuff, it sounds like you, um, you chose, it's, it's funny. I mentioned this in one of the last shows, so I need to get off of mentioning it, but it's interesting. Like the more I talk to people, the more I'm, I feel awkward saying like you chose a less traditional path, right? Because it's like, well, what's traditional? I mean, what, what are we talking about here? Right. Um, but I mean, at 18, you, you, I mean, maybe even before that you decided that, you know, doing the cubicle and the the typical nine to five kind (laughs) of just the grind, right. Wasn't your thing. Um, how did you come to that realization and, and how did you decide that it was okay for you to take a different path? Because it, I kind of got the hint in, in your bio that there was some, maybe some struggle there in your early life trying to, to figure out and, and what to do. But can you talk about that? Yeah, I guess it all spurred from me not being able to focus very well when I was in school. And so, I mean, I loved reading and writing and everything else was just sort of out the window. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't focus in class. I was a horrible like test taker and I didn't like sort of the way that I, I felt like students were being funneled out. And I mean, I love the the school that I went to and everything all good, but um, it, it felt like we were sort of like cattle and there was different corrals that we would do best in. And so, you know, we're, we're kind of put in this corral to go to this, uh, like a community college or University of Nebraska or, or straight to the career field, you know, what, whatever you want to do. But I didn't really like listening to people who didn't know me very well, uh, tell me about what I should be doing. Um, I didn't really like listening to anyone tell me what I should be doing. And there's, it's probably not a hundred percent positive to have that type of a mindset all the time. I'm trying to change things a little bit, uh, with listening to hi mom and dad. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Like listening to my parents or my, my wife, especially, um, so now I'm a good listener, but back then I was a very poor listener, but I did like adventure. And so I, I think what I wanted to do is I'd have these adventures on various rivers across Nebraska. There's great rivers in Western and central uh, Nebraska for mm-hmm. paddling and it's sort of a, an escape from, uh, from the just general farmland and city and all that. And, but I wanted to test if my relationship with the wilderness and with that type of recreation was purely like a romantic thing from the books that you know i've read every like gary paulson book hatchet uh right i read hatchet like forty thousand times oh man that's why i didn't do anything else right (laughs) didn't we all read hatchet forty thousand times brian right brian yeah yeah the whole brian i read up the whole series i read every outdoor book that gary paulson recently died like a month Mm -hmm. ago i think yeah um i read every book that he put out on the topic of wilderness and so uh became just completely enamored with it but i was wondering if that was if i was just being romantic or if it was a real practical thing if i actually would like it um like how do you enjoy being out in the woods when it's really cold or really hot or you're hungry or you're you know you've been wet for days whatever so i that's why i went to jack mountain bushcraft school because they had these long-term immersion programs that you could do 
and they offer college credit through a, a college. Oh. So I could tell my parents hey. that they do offer college credit. So it's kind of like going to college. Yeah, Sam's a pretty smart guy. Right. I'm living in a shelter, but it's kind of like college. And <laughs> uh, Tim Smith, who runs the school, put together a very convincing website. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, so it was the perfect storm of, uh, yeah, I guess launching me into the unknown. And so I did, I mean, really it all went very fast. Like I, I went to, um, do all that bushcraft training. Um, and I guess, I mean, I wish I would have years and years more training before I got on a loan the first time. But, and I was only like, I remember when I got an email, I had started writing about my adventures in the woods and I got an email from casting from Malone, And it literally said something like, Hey, Sam, I read your essay on being in the woods. I hear you've been camping one time. How do you think about trying out for this new show called The Last Survivor? By the way, that, that was the working title of Alone was The Last Survivor. And so, and I was like, I don't know, sounds good. Um, and so, yeah, I was like 21. Well, so it all went super, super fast yeah, um, in there. And I think at that point it was like, uh, so everyone who wanted to be on a survival show pretty much could get on one. Like Naked and Afraid had, had just come out and all these survival shows were trying to launch. Everyone was trying to sort of capitalize on um, Survivor Man and Man vs. Wild not being on Discovery anymore. <laughs> and so, nah, the good old days. The good old days. Back when anyone could get on. Yeah, and so... I, I was like, yeah, well, if if they're telling the truth about this, the last Survivor show, uh, it's going to be awesome. I don't think that they are, but if if they're actually saying we're going to be alone in the woods, that is a really good concept. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, and here we are eight seasons later and people still don't think you're out there alone. I find that to be very curious. But... <laughs> I know. Holy cow, eight seasons, though yeah that's right. what i that's what i look at it and say i'm like i cannot believe this thing is Whoa. still on like nothing like i don't know yeah no that what you're about to say is 100 true that that it is it that it's still allowed to be on <laughs> yeah like nothing has happened um yeah and and to think that season nine like the ninth round of people are you know just barely starting their long journey and recovery yeah. process yeah, probably sometime in the, I mean, I bet they all got back before the holidays yeah. or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's, it's amazing to see that it's, it's gone this long when really there's no conceivable reason why alone should have ever uh, <laughs> been produced and aired and cast and everything like something should have shut it down in the process. Like the insurance yeah. company should have said, no way are you going to do that? Uh, you know, the staff to film it should have been like, huh, no end date. Well, that's not good for, <laughs> for me being employed other places. You know, how are you supposed to find 10 people to go to the woods and to tell their employers they're going to be gone for a while, but who knows how long? Yeah. And so it was sort of just this. For me, doing season one, at no point was I convinced that the show was going to work out. Even while I was in the woods, I was not convinced that it was going to turn into anything. 
so you're like out there it, it's when i was just talking to someone else and, and they had worked on a like they had behind the scenes worked on a show and they were like hey you should check this out and the show's been kind of disappeared right now like i don't know if people know that that's a thing that happens like you know you can pour your heart and soul and money and time and effort into a, a project that a the network loves and then when they see the end product they can just disappear it right but since they paid for it or they've done whatever like it just disappears and so that'd be kind of a funny thing being out there you know getting your butt kicked um not that you didn't do great but it's a it's a thing for sure and uh sitting there thinking like man i sure hope this at least i hope i hope at least season one sees the light of the day that'd be an interesting thing to be running through while you're also trying to survive yeah and the guys who made season one happen really i mean the the whole crew of people who made season one happen um it's just a it's just a miracle that it actually got off the ground um like the the production crew that was there was bare bones we had a we had a survival uh consultant we had a showrunner and we had like a um like a, a director of photography producer and it was pretty much three people and our boat operators who also owned the cabins that everyone was staying in. Like it was, and to when I clear, showed up for season, the cabins yeah. everyone was staying in before they launched. We got to make, <laughs> I'm sorry. I should be clearer. Yes. You don't stay in cabins during the, the filming of the show, but before launch, uh, the crew stays there during the launch and then participants go there after they've, you know, been yeah. out in the woods, of course. Uh, but to, to see that, like where we were at bare bones and to then go into season five, mm. where we've got all these safety protocols set up, we've got all these, this like information packet to look through and well, here's the rules. Here's how it goes now. Um, and, and to see this massive crew that of course is not there with you in the woods, but they do the B roll footage and they, they film beforehand, they do interviews and do afterwards and there's a bigger safety crew, um, to see it all, it's like, wow, season one was the Wild West. We, we had none of this. Um, but it was, I don't know, it was amazing to see what it has become after all these years. Yeah. And uh, yeah, to, to see what could actually function. Uh, but also to, to look out and to know that I really, because there was no one else from season one there. Everyone else is talking about what they did on their seasons. There was no one else. And so for me, I was like, oh my goodness, they don't know. Like they don't know how just crazy it was for us. Uh, like I still, when I talk to the OG producers and such who were there back in the day, um, they, they just joke around with me as well. Cause they're like, yeah, it was crazy. There was a hundred times that the show could have gotten just completely shut down. Um, especially with, Oh golly, with season one, with filming where we filmed, uh, we went through like a week of additional training because we were on like tribal grounds. Mm -hmm. They didn't want us to to wreck any of the the artifacts, which obviously you know we didn't want to either. Um, but it was I don't know, just to the concept was so out there. Like no one had ever just sent people out in the woods before to to catch whatever they can. Like yeah. you don't you don't think about it, but the majority of the time when you're watching a survival show, if they get an animal, it's been scripted in advance. Like they went there. My life is yeah. ruined. 
the romance is gone. It's gone. Um, but if they've got a dead animal, it was planned in advance. They knew exactly how to get it. They spoke to the, the DNR or whoever, and they, they got a, a beaver or a deer or whatever. Yeah. Um, but alone, it's just like, just go out and, you know, catch fish and set traps and build shelter. And you'll figure it out. Yeah, you'll figure it out. And so there was no, there was no permit for that. You know, <laughs> when how stressful too to be the person who's like, you know what, I've got an idea and it's going to cost a million dollars to get this idea started. And the entire show is going to be run by people who don't run TV shows. Can we have yeah. some money? Yeah. <laughs> Do they have any professional camera crew? Oh, no. Oh, no, no. they don't. Do they know no, how to got... tell a story and to thread storyline? Mm, no. No. <laughs> No, that's interesting. Something that I've wanted to do um, is I really want to talk to the the person whose brainchild was this show. Um, you know, the those that listen, obviously, we don't we typically don't spend a, a ton of time or the whole episode talking about the show. But I would love to talk to the person who's who's like like who sat up in bed one night and said, "You know what I want to do? I want to do a TV show where we take people to the brink of death." Yeah, and and let's <laughs> let's do that. Uh, I I think that that is a I I just want to talk to that person because I think that's so fascinating. And, and how did that idea come about? And how did it evolve? And and yeah, what was it like the first time you pitched that to someone? Um, like what like what happened? Because I'm sure that room was either went really quiet really fast, or you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. Uh, I, I think if you're interested in doing that, there's some names that we could, you know, get you. And I'm, I'm sure, I mean, they're probably busy people, but I, everyone wants to talk about it. It was yeah. a crazy adventure. And so, and even now there's people on the, you know, on the, the crew that you should probably talk to uh, at least as much as they can talk because they've got amazing stories um, as well from just being a part of this crazy being around thing. It. Well, we'll, yeah. we'll talk afterwards and we'll uh we'll compare notes but um because i think that that is just so interesting to me i really want to know like you know to your point i mean i didn't realize I, i've talked to um talked to lucas he's the episode right before you um so i was able to hear a little bit about the season one excitement and you know i've talked to some people from season two and so you know even you know even going into season two it sounds like there was you know i mean because you guys when season two started i mean it, just the time frames right and so even in season two, it sounds like there was still some level of like, what is this thing? Right. Like, <laughs> you know, Hey, we've got this show that's like, you know, we don't really know exactly what it is, but you want to be on season two. And, uh, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, I can imagine for, for season one, um, that that was pretty, pretty wild west. And so I think if I'm remembering correctly for you, um, was it season one that you had just found out that you were going to have children, or was it season five that you just found? I think it was season one, right? Yeah, we have this running joke between um, the, the casting producer and myself where basically every time I impregnate my wife, they call me and ask me to go on TV again. Um, so the first time, it was our firstborn. Uh, the second time I was on alone was uh, my daughter had just been born like a week before I flew out. Yeah. And so... I was joking with someone. I was like, man, the, I can't remember who it was I was talking to, but 
we had joked about like really like everyone wants to know how do I get on the show how do I get on the show it's like well plan it so your wife is about I don't know four five six months pregnant on launch day and you'll get on the show <laughs> like that <laughs> there's a yes. whole string um so how so how long had you been home when your first child came he was born in February and I got home in December so a couple months Oof. two and a half months something like that how uh you know I've asked someone else this question but it's just fascinating to me how how was that transition uh one the transition coming home um especially I think season one you know the show has gotten I'll say better right and and people that are going out now um not only do we understand or do they understand you know better how to take care of people but um like if you're going into season nine like you probably know I, you, you don't know what to expect like you know yeah that it's gonna kick your butt and it's gonna be a thing um what was that like coming home and like transitioning back into like reality i guess but then also like right after that boom you've got a child well for me it was i think i have a, a different experience than most people because cool. i felt very hostile towards you know the environment or wherever we were mm. on season one, I was very hostile towards Vancouver Island. Uh, and I thought everything was stupid, like about my spot. And I, I didn't really let on on TV, but I was running around like a chicken with my head cut off and I had no idea really what to do. I mean, we had virtually no training um, on the ground that season. Um, it, you know, it hadn't really been thought of necessarily. And so, at that point, I was just sort of happy to be home and I just continued my daily life and I thought, wow, that was a really cool experience. Um, super fun, but there was no real transition that I had to go through. Season five was way more different because season five, I mean, season one, I was just out there sort of messing around, but I wanted to take it seriously enough that I wanted to last as long as I thought I could season five, I was actually like, Hey, I should probably think about, you know, doing this as, as, you know, as long as I possibly can and giving it as much effort as possible and trying to win. And in order to do that, I actually became more comfortable with the idea of just being out there. And so I was thankful for things and I slowed down and I, spent long hours sitting next to the fire, just thinking about um, my life. And it was a, it was more of a transformative experience season five for me. And so when I got home, it was extremely rough. Like there's, and there's still issues that I'm dealing with on a daily basis um, that sort of, you know, spawned from my season five uh, experience. Like there's still anxieties that I have, um, daily that I could just trace right back to, to that experience, even with aftercare and, and talking to a psychologist who's very skilled at what she does and everything like that. That's interesting that, um, and I mean, it makes sense, right? It, it, it makes sense that your mindset going in it, I mean, it sounds like, and, and if I heard you wrong, you know, please correct me, but it sounds like what you're saying is that for you, the, the mindset going into the different seasons and maybe, how that mindset played into how you mentally played the game and approached the the experience um, had a, a drastically 
had a huge impact basically on the outcome of the show. Is that kind of what I'm gathering? Yeah. I mean, I, I would have never probably made it so long if I didn't sort of buy into the experience and yeah. say, Hey, I'm here. I'm not going to squander this. I'm going to really try to learn from this place and I'm going to appreciate, I'm going to appreciate it for what it is. Um, and I, I actually, I don't think I've ever publicly said the anxiety that I'm like dealing with from it. Um, but it's, it's a little bit funny. So like not going to say, can we, can we go there? Are you comfortable discussing that? Yeah. At least comfortable discussing that. Oh yeah. 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 I, uh, cause it is, it's a little bit funny for some of it. Um, but it is, it is very personal at the same time. But, um, so the first thing that I have a lot of anxiety about now is vehicles. So being a passenger in a vehicle, I'm terrified of going really fast in a tin can. Um, like I, at no point do I lose concept of exactly how fast my body is going. Mm-hmm. Whereas other people, it seems like it's just no big deal. They hop in the car, but is that based on every the, time, the slowdown you went through, you think? Yeah. By not like, being in a vehicle for yeah. all those, all that time. And, and then just being kind of right back into it. Cause you can't just not go in a vehicle and get yeah. from Mongolia to Nebraska. You can't transition that. Yeah. Um, so there's that. This next one is, well, and then sort of a boring one. I just really value privacy right now. So like I live in the middle of, the, of nowhere in the country and the odds of someone coming down my driveway and like knocking on my door are very low. And if they do, it's a really nice person but I always keep my gate closed because I just don't, hmm. I just feel really vulnerable if there's not a little bit of metal between like something yeah. and privacy. Yeah. And then the third one, this is one that like in my normal daily life, people get a kick out of, I'm terrified of mail. Um, like, like the stuff getting, that comes from the postman. Yeah. But terrified is not the right word. That's a, that's a poor choice of words, but I get anxiety from, uh, from receiving <laughs> mail. I'm like, we need to talk about how all these people know where I live. Like, <laughs> we need to, I don't feel comfortable with this. Like you get, you get some junk mail or whatever. And it's just, mm. I just don't, I don't want to open that mailbox. And you know, that's interesting. It makes, it makes you really uncomfortable. Um, but uh yeah, is there those like are a, those are my quirks. So with a with the, uh, with, <laughs> I'm just trying to think of how to word this. So with with the the gate, you know, and the mail, it. I mean, it. You seem like a, a pretty happy, trusting, like, you know, if you come across at least as like your mentality is is that things will generally be okay and like things will generally work out as opposed to like the opposite of like everyone's out to get us and type of a thing. Um, and so is it, is it a, a people problem or is there something else you think that is kind of driving that? Or is it just like, I was alone and I didn't see people like, do you know where it's coming from? Like kind of what the trigger, the dividing line is there? Yeah, because you're right. Like that's generally how I would describe myself. And that's generally how everyone in my life would describe me. And I love, um, having people around and meeting new people. Um, I, I, thoroughly enjoy it um part of it is like a fear of like government and so it was a it was a big deal for me coming back um and and sort of being like wow there's a lot of people 
who dictate what I do with my life, who will never meet me. Um, and I don't really like, I'm uncomfortable with that. Um, and I would say that like, of course I'm, I'm sort of this like private, uh, libertarian type, but to the extent where you just don't want any visitors like that, that's unhealthy. You know what I mean? It's not healthy to be terrified of these things and, and to create boogeymans. And we see it all the time now with all this, mm. uh, COVID stuff coming out and, and, uh, you know, people believing things that are clearly absurd. Um, but I think that's part of what it stems from. I have, a, I'm Sam and I have an unhealthy, uh, fear of, of government agencies. Um, even well, ones that are run by perfectly pleasant people who I enjoy speaking with. That's funny. All the time. So well, <laughs> I will. Uh, I'll I'll drag you out of your out from underneath your rock every once in a while, and and we'll record Thank an episode you. to make sure that you yes. you get your your proper dose of socialization. Um, no, it's it's so interesting. You mentioned the the cars thing. Uh, it reminded me of when I was talking to Callie North, so season three, Callie. Um, she like her and, and one of the production crew got in a car accident. I think it was the day after she got back to camp or got back to wherever they were. So she had just tapped. And then like the next day she gets in a car wreck. And when she was telling me that, I was like, man, I can imagine that that would like, I don't know if I'd recover from that. That would be a, a too much of a shock. Yeah. Cause you're just, you're raw, completely raw coming out of there. And so everything is amplified. Um, you just feel everything. It's like so much more. Like you feel people's emotions coming out. I think you feel empathy for people a little bit deeper after not seeing people for very long. Um, like I have this that I, I still think about now. I feel really bad for people who are exploited by um, television, whether that's like, the news trying to, to make headlines or reality shows or whatever. Like when I see someone who's clearly in a vulnerable state, but there's money being made off of them. Like my heart just really goes out to, yeah. um, to that person. Like for this goes way back, but for when I was, I just got done with Mongolia. I think it's when that big school shooting was happening in Florida. Um, I think it was the Marjorie, no that's the that's the congresswoman uh Mar marjorie stoneman douglas i believe it was um yeah. down in florida and i remember just not being able to even be on social media but just being an observer of the news and what was going on and seeing these children who were extremely well spoken um but i i feared that maybe they were being paraded around to um, like to, to meet the self-interest of the news media. And so, especially after going through an extremely traumatizing event, like, holy cow, if some shooter comes into your school and does that. Um, I, I just remember feeling like very deeply for that specific group of people. Yeah. Um, and, and just like sort of praying that time and space, um, time and yeah. space. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. uh, it's it's interesting. You've and I. It sounds like you've got a a good relationship with um, production and, and with you know people that you've worked with from the show. And so, you know, we can you can tell me to knock it off. Um, but your 
you know, or obviously growing up, you mentioned how people telling you what to do and like kind of planning your story for you was a problem. And then, you know, you've talked about how, you know, right now the sensitivities to other people kind of being used and, and whatever. Um, was it difficult for you or, or how did you feel about letting someone else tell, you know, two of the most important stories of your life? Um, is that something that has, that sat well with you and that you were able to, you know, are you happy with that? I guess maybe not even saying like, are you happy with yeah. how they portrayed you? But just what was that like? Cause it sounds like that might've been a, a conflict for you. Yeah. And I mean, you're right. Like I have really good relationships with everyone I've worked with. And I think it's just because I appreciate what they've put into the show. Um, I handled my first season a lot worse than my fifth season because fifth season, I went into it with basically just no expectations at all. The, the thing we tell people who are like they get through their season and it's about to air and they're, they're fresh and they're, they've got all these expectations of like, I did these four really cool things and I'd like them all to be on there. And we, we sort of tell them like, Hey, you're probably not going to see any of those. You might see one or two, but the perspective of the person watching it has to be, you know, significant. Like they have to think it's a significant moment, not just you um, in your heart. So I would think, I do think the show would benefit from taking every participant afterwards and saying, okay, what are your top three or four mm. experiences? Like, like what that. to you? Um, because it, it's, it never happens. I will say this, the, the idea, like the gist I get from people who have watched the show, um, what they tell me about my experience is generally similar to what I experienced, but watching the show for me, I never get that. So it seems like to me, the producers are telling a good story and they're usually telling the correct story. Um, but I've never felt like it's actually my story that's being told. And I think a lot of that, I just have to sort of let go of and say, Sam's story lives um, up in his head. And yeah. also in their defense, I will say this, people always talk about the cool things that didn't air. They never talk about the horrible, embarrassing, stupid things that you do that didn't air. Because they'll, Well, they'll, since you went yeah. there, Sam, <laughs> I've got a question for you, pal. Uh, yeah, what was that, Sam? What do you want me to answer for you you know i just i have this really original question of the really crappy terrible things that happened to you that didn't make the show well since you asked um <laughs> it's especially it's especially for season one um and i don't know if i made this unusable or if uh they were just like yeah we don't have enough time but i was trying to make a boat to fish in the waters like a little bit deeper um, season one and I was sort of scrapping all this stuff from the shore like shore debris and, and things like that and I think it was a total of like three and a half weeks that I put into this <laughs> into this boat but I was I mean looking back on it I could have just strapped some styrofoam together and gone out there we had so much of that yeah. on the shore but I didn't I was being you know foolish but 
I, I made this horrible boat and I, and it just sunk like to the bottom of the ocean. Um, to like, to know, but like, it was the dumbest thing I think I've ever done. And they, they kept it a complete secret for me, these gems, uh, who have our footage. Um, but I know what happened in my That's heart. Funny. So and, what you're, what you're saying yeah. is, is that as opposed to being the big bad wolf, they're actually looking out for you guys. And <laughs> you, we, you can just laugh. It's fine. And, and that, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll just laugh. Because... Yeah, you can just laugh. It's okay. Um, that's funny that your that your your boat sunk. Any other um, just comical things that that happened that you're like, man, I'd like to be able to show that to posterity. Golly, I mean, if I thought for a while, I'm a hundred percent sure I could think of something they do usually jump right on those like moments of stupidity. Yeah. Um, so they do a really good job of using that resource, uh, you know, stupid moments from alone participants. Um, oh, I guess there's one from season five that never aired, but it would have kind of been a cool story arc had it, had it you know, been made into it. Um, well, first of all, going back to the boat, I think the reason it wasn't aired is because I didn't let it affect, affect me mentally at that point so it uh, sank to the bottom and i just cracked up laughing i was you, like that was so dumb like how <laughs> stupid does a guy have to be to, to do that um and I, maybe my reaction to this um in season five also affected whether it got used or not or maybe they just missed it but i was carving a spoon and i cut myself like once every five years uh, with a knife and I use a knife almost every day, but I was just cutting along and my knife slipped and it just went straight into my hand. Uh. And I could actually, like, I've never done this before, but I could, it was, I was going so hard on it. Uh, and it just with a multi-tool knife. So not a good knife. And I felt it bounce off of the bone uh. in my pinky. Yeah. And so it was like, and I just looked down and it was just, super gory um and i could actually like peel open the flesh and sort of see sam you know yeah. from the inside yeah um actually I, there's a whole section of my ted talk that i did last couple of years ago or something like that where i talk about this experience and, and how it sort of formed my perspective on the outdoors but it took at least i want to say it took three weeks for that to fully heal and it was almost like it was almost to the point where they would have pulled me for it um, because I wrapped the whole thing up. I splinted it. I couldn't use that hand for, you know, like at least a couple, which when you're splitting all your own firewood, it's kind of difficult to, to do that with one hand. But um, yeah, I like hit it during the med checks and things like that. But I was still filming it like, oh, look, you know, it looks a little better today or whatever. Yeah. Um, I actually remember one time this doctor in Mongolia, we had, you know, English speaking doctors, like they kind of speak English, but not really. And he is, is interviewing me, you know, and for context, like you have been saying, when you do a med check, it is very brief. Uh, it is not very often. It's like once every 10 days or so, uh, if not more, but this doctor looks at my hand and he goes, can you take, like take your bandage off i want to look at the wound and i said no 
And the reason I gave though, which was a true reason was I said, no, because I don't know if they're going to give me any more bandage uh, in my first aid kit, um, which was true. They probably, I, I don't know if they would or not, but um, I said, no, I don't know how much more band I, I have left. And, uh, and, <laughs> and then the, the doctor goes back over and I actually see the producer look at the doctor and he's like, did he let you look at his hand? And the doctor says, yes. Oh. And I think what he heard Champion. the producer say, I know, I think what he heard the producer say was, did you ask him about his hand or something like that? Because That's he wouldn't funny. have lied to him. Um, but I did, uh, the survival consultant, Dave Holder, I did see he he sort of has this little pad of paper that he writes everything down on. Like he's always jotting down you know, notes. And he just looks at me because he knows what's going on and he like writes it down in his <laughs> notebook like sam has a hand injury that he doesn't want people to see dated or whatever yeah it was. Oh, that's funny have you you should i mean you should track that doctor down and send him like a fruit basket <laughs> i should he deserves it whatever he, you know whatever he wants so yeah the mutton uh, or something like that that's hilarious what a champ i mean intentional unintentional the story is fantastic either way um that's that's funny that is that's funny um well we can uh we're starting to to run long here so we'll transition and get you back to your family but i want to circle back to your teaching and your school and all of that i guess before we do that is there anything else that you want to to mention or anything you want to continue on in that last thread we were on before we move on not really i mean but as an overall theme, just for me, I just appreciate what the show has become. And I appreciate all the, the people who have participated in it. Um, I guess we've talked more about the crew, um, which like, don't get me wrong. They deserve a ton of uh, respect. Like there's, there's no better crew for this type of show than what we have yeah. on loan. Um, not, not that I can think of at least, um, but the participants who do this, are just extremely special. And when I hear people talk about like what seasons they enjoy, um, it, it's just amazing to hear the stories of the people from alone told through the fans and like what stuck mm. out to them and how they, how it's affected um, their lives. And at the same time, it's amazing for me to be able to have relationships with other people from the show because yeah. you can just jump right into a conversation with these people um and and have something really you know really strong um in common i don't know what kind of tangents i could go on here but there's also times when you meet people like before they're on and then you meet them afterwards <laughs> like i have this really crazy story about meeting um callie from season seven before uh -huh. she was <laughs> like a few months before she was on just randomly. Um, but anyway, it goes back to, was it random or was she stalking you? Like I need to meet the Sam guy, get some tips, bump into the grocery store. It's about as random as you can get. So, well, it's not random in that we were actually at a, a primitive skills gathering um, in, uh -huh. in Eastern Idaho called rabbit stick. And mm -hmm. we were both kind of killing time. She was working on a project somewhere I was working on a project somewhere. We we're both waiting to like to use something. And so we're sitting around in a circle and we just start talking to like various folks. And then 
we all decided there's like an atlatl range, which is like spear throwing. And we were like, why don't we just go up there and throw some, you know, throw some atlatl. Yeah. And so we all go up there and we're just throwing, you know, throwing darts and we're all terrible at it. And, uh, and the guy who's running the range comes up to me and it's like, Hey, you know, ask me something about a loan. Um, and so one of the guys in our group was like, you didn't tell us you're on TV. And I just like, well, yeah, it's generally, it's a good thing to not just announce that you're on TV. Anyway. And then after that, we're like going back to our spots to finish up our projects. And Callie comes up to me and she's like, Hey, they've been trying to get me to try out for that show. Like, do you have any advice? Like, should I do it? Are they going to try to change my lifestyle? And so there was, we kind of launched into a series of, of questions and I don't, I'd actually already heard of who Callie was from Larry Roberts, um, who said she was just this awesome gal out in the mountains of, you know, Montana doing her thing. So it was a like to, to go from just meeting Callie and hanging out with her and talking to her a few times on the phone and such to like watching how amazing she did on season seven. Um, I don't know. It's, it's one of the most special things I've ever experienced. Um, just seeing all these these people so that's cool um does it bring back like good stuff for you to to see people having that experience and that transition like what does it feel like i guess inside of you like what does it do for you if anything yeah well i guess i was so like i had such low self-esteem early on i think some of us felt going into season one um by some of us i mean me that you know, you wanted to look good on TV. You wanted to be memorable. You wanted to make your mark. You wanted to be identified as a guy who did good on TV, who is very impressive, who is, you know, a prominent figure in the survival world. And with all these seasons sort of coming through now, they've, you know, I don't know, like what 80 people have done it now, <laughs> something like that. Um, sort of be able to separate from that from this like ego driven thing that I was a part of to be able to set like just get that out of there and be able to say like wow I really appreciated watching what you did on the show and I think it just is representative of you know of everyone I think like the cast of seasons well gosh I can't even name one of them because I just appreciate every single season, the stories that are told and the, the people who just put themselves out there to participate in this thing. So yeah, I think that as a whole, you know, seeing people's experiences, saying that this is about us as a collective mm -hmm. rather than it was always all about me has been really healthy and has helped me make you know, some of the best relationships I've ever had. That's cool. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, if you've got friends and family or others who, you know, do certain types of jobs, maybe law enforcement or military, right. Um, there's just a different level of understanding that, you know, that I will never have. Um, and it, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's really neat and special. I'm glad that, that you all are able to connect and to keep and maintain those relationships and friendships because it, it's probably very important to have other people that you can just be like, you just look at me like, huh, right? And, and everyone understands. Um, that's got to be a, a very healthy thing. Yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's some of the most healthy conversations that I've ever had in my life are with other participants because they can immediately jump on with you and discuss things. Like I talked to, um, the, as soon as we're allowed to talk to people, I was on the phone with, um, with Megan from season three. Um, and you know, and she was helping me process what was going on. Um, and just, I mean, I couldn't even list, I see people on social media, but like, what are your, who is your favorite alone participant? And I'm like, can I get a top 30 or something? (laughs) Like it's hard because I think people don't realize how, how amazing these people are. And yeah, just, it's just a privilege to like be a part of it. Cool. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, and so we'll go to your, your teaching. Obviously you said that COVID, um, you know, obviously it took its toll. And so are things picking back up for you guys getting back in the swing or what does that look like for you right now? Yeah, I've actually seen somewhat of an increase in, uh, like demand for survival training since the pandemic started. Yeah. So, but it's, it's, you know, connecting the dots into who actually wants to come out and do training, uh, and such. So, um, and there's also, there's a lot of things that I do outside of the survival space. Um, you know, from being a dad, which is for us, there's, um, there's a a little bit more that our family does, um, together that sort of goes outside of just, um, I guess I'm, I'm saying this in the weirdest way possible. Um, so as not to share personal information, but, um, there being a dad is sort of an extended, um, part of my life. Uh, and then I would also say that, uh, my wife has a business that she runs, um, which, you know, I'm, I'm really happy that she does that. Um, but like that takes a little bit extra demand too. So, um, like I, I say I'm really busy and I'm really bad at getting back to people, which you of course know, cause you tried to get me on this podcast. <laughs> um, it's not because people who are survival uh, instructors and were on a reality television. So once are just like, so popular, it's just cause I'm, I'm, that's just my life. I'm just living my life. Um, I should probably answer your actual question at some point. Um, no, you're good. I this would is great. say, <laughs> so yeah, I want to launch back into more of my survival training in 2022. Uh, I've got a launch of digital courses um, because a lot of folks from alone are all over the place. Like I'm fans from alone are all over the place and they want to know, they want to know like, how would Sam do this? Um, like as a real instruction, not him like on this show in the woods with where a snippet is shown, like what, how does Sam say you should use an ax? How does Sam say you should carve and not cut your finger off like he did? So you're going to do a I, boat know, building course? How does Sam from Nebraska build a boat? You not know, just a boat, a, this, sea, a seaworthy vessel. <laughs> yes. By the way, Nebraska, the only state or province that is separated by three other states or provinces from the ocean. Um, uh, <laughs> we're in a category all our own. We are so far from water. Uh, it just freaks me out. So yeah, I'm bad at boats, but th- I am somewhat sufficient in teaching other <laughs> survival skills. I should be at this point. I've been doing it since I was like, I don't know, yeah, uh, late, late teens or so, but I'm going to get digital courses up and going. 
I hope to start a YouTube channel um, and then getting in-person courses and even launching into a couple of multi-day courses in 2022. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to the new year for sure. Cool. Uh, where can people find all those? I'll, I'll link them in the show notes and everything, but if people want to find you and, and, you know, get more information on any of that stuff, where can they follow to make sure they get those notifications and stuff? Yeah. Um, it's good to find me on social media. Anything I'll do will, will be filtered through that uh, on the social media platforms, but also at samexplores.com. Okay, so samexplores.com, and then I think your public-facing page on, on Facebook is Sam Larson Alone. Is that right? Sam Larson dash alone, and then everything else is actually Sam Explores. So Twitter, okay. at Sam Explores. Uh, Instagram, at Sam Explores. Uh, TikTok, not at Sam Explores. Survival Sam, and there's zero content on there because I don't, I don't know how it works. Apparently um, you, and, and this is great in the survival space, I and mean, we can start a thing here. Apparently you start dangerous and deadly challenges and then tell people to do them is what you do on TikTok. And so uh, that sounds like a fun thing to do in the let's play with knives and axes game. So, Yes. <laughs> I mean, no. I mean, you should be safe. <laughs> Sam Rose, for the record, this is being recorded. Sam Rose says you should be careless. No, no. Sam Larson says, no, he didn't say that. <laughs> Sorry, I was just, we were, we were laughing about something yesterday where I'm not laughing, but it's just amazing <laughs> the, the ridiculous things that kids come up with like, hey, you know, they see things on TikTok and then they go stick pennies in light sockets and stuff, right? And yeah. so if you extend that to the survival space. Um, so I'll get you linked in all those places down below. We'll, we'll not link the TikTok since there's nothing there. But uh, unless Please you're planning don't. on it. <laughs> uh, not reliable. Yeah. Not reliable. But we'll put it out there. Don't go to TikTok. Uh, we'll put it out there. Um, so you mentioned that you're, you know, obviously, and, and there's a lot, again, this episode we've, we've, spoken more about the survival thing than we typically do. So, you know, you did mention that there's obviously a lot more to you uh, than the survival piece. And so is there any of that that you can share that you're comfortable or able to share just kind of who, who Sam is aside from all of that? Um, your dad, obviously you're a husband. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's some stuff I can share now. Uh, there's other stuff that I will definitely share later in 2022, but Perfect. can't right now. But, um, I guess I'm, I'm very involved in, um, in our local church. So I do a lot with that. Um, I help lead a, uh, like a, a small group at the church. Um, and I'm also, uh, on track to like, do the, like a, an eldership type program you could call it. And so reading a lot of books, um, discussing, um, doing my best to like serve, our community um, and things like that. So that's a, a big part of our life as well. And it, I, I hear writing, right? It sounds like you, you do a lot of writing. Yeah. What, what space does that fill? Well, and I'm, I'm certainly in the category of like guys who love to read, just like love it. And it just doesn't always, <laughs> always happen, but I, I absolutely love writing. Um, that's, it's how I communicate best. I think, um, and I absolutely love reading books. So I, I hope to be writing more, um, really all over the place, but alone, um, you know, maybe a little bit of current event, faith-based, you know, 
being a father, things like that. Um, but definitely including outdoor education as well. Awesome. Well, Sam, as we, as we wrap up, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to, to sit down and visit and, and take time out of your, your very busy schedule away from your family. Um, you know, the thing that's most important in, in, in your life, certainly, um, and in a lot of people's lives. So thank you so much for doing that. As we close out, is there any last words you want to share with anybody? Any last thing you want to say, kind of your last, your, your most important piece of advice for anyone ever? Here's the most important thing I have to say. Earlier, you were talking about like, you know, from this conversation, maybe you won't think we're friends, but Sam, <laughs> we are friends now, okay? Yes. Don't think we're not friends. All right, so that I can lead with That's that. That's the hey. most important thing I have to say. <laughs> so Sam, Sam Larson leads new, new conversations with new people by saying, I'm Sam Larson from the History Channel's Alone Show. And I will now lead my introductions to say, I am Sam Rose, and I am friends with Sam Larson, who was on the Alone Show on History Channel. So there we go. We've got that squared away. You and my mom and dad uh, both start conversations that way now. So <laughs> that's great. That's awesome. That is that is such a parent thing. Well, Sam, thank you so much again for your time, and and thank you for sharing you know your story, a little bit about your life, and and and. I guess, expanding on what people know and understand to be the show alone. So thank you so much for that. And I will let you get back to your family. Thank you, Sam. Have a good one. All right. Hey, you as well.